We're going to begin today, and our message will come from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Go ahead and find 2 Corinthians chapter 4. That's what we'll talk about this morning. The last two weeks I've spoken about the unveiling of the unbelieving spirit, trying to point out that being an unbeliever is so common, it's so easy that a lot of people are and really don't realize it. And I don't want to go back into all of that, but especially when it comes to functioning in this world and in the church with a natural mind, seeing things naturally, even though you hear something spiritual from the Bible or the Word, you hear that, what God says, and yet we try to practice that with a natural mind. We wonder how God can do this how he can do that, well, how much longer is he going to take and why. And we get into a lot of natural circumstances and things don't work well for us. There comes a time in your life when faith, what the Bible calls faith, has to become settled in your heart, just compelling you to expect God to do what he said. You don't know how he's going to do it. It doesn't matter how he's going to do it, just the fact that he promised he will do it and you're accepting that. God will do that. And you begin to live like he's going to do that. You don't worry about tomorrow. Jesus said you don't take thought for tomorrow. When unbelief as a spirit, the work of the devil to keep you from believing or to distort what God has said or to somehow put a haze over to where it's not clear, you become unsettled and uncertain about truth. And you begin to wonder how he's going to do this and how he's going to do that. And why would he do it for me? And all these natural questions come in and flood your mind until you begin to struggle with things that you really shouldn't have to struggle with. If God said he'll supply all of your needs, he will supply all of your needs. Now, if you don't believe it like that, then you might not find that working for you. I want to talk this morning about why the faithless depart from the faith. I would like to think that in light of what the Bible says about what belongs to us, how we can receive it, things like joy and peace and abundance, words like that are used in the New Testament for us. And all of these things, of course, are obtained by faith. And you would think, at least I would, how is it that when God makes so many promises, offers his people so much, and yet his people don't seem to get very excited about that. Are they overwhelmed with the news reports of yesterday about the economy or the terrorism or this is going to happen or the price of oil is going Are we so occupied with stuff that we can't see the remedy for it, the answer to it? Why is it that so many people, having heard the good things of God, the good news, they've heard it, they've listened to it, they've pondered it, and yet they seem to turn away from it so easily? How can that be? How is that possible? You got power, you got victory, words like it that are ours with the victory, and we have power, and all things are ours, and all of this, and 8,000 promises, and yet it's not a very exciting thing to a lot of people. How can this be? How can this be? 
And yet we hear about the end time departure. In the last days, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. That's that spirit of the devil I was talking about. It's an unbelieving spirit. And whatever way it turns you away, it is still, at the base of it, it's unbelieving. It's a distortion of truth so that you can't see the right and you believe the wrong. Many will depart from the faith. They'll give heed to seducing spirits. God asked the question, who has believed our report? When's this going to work? And for those that have given up on it, why did you give up on it? What did God not do? What did God not say? In what way was God failing you that his word was not good enough to turn you from death to life or from darkness to light. Something goes afoul here. The way I'm looking at it as a preacher and the way I believe, I am pretty narrow. You've never heard that. You would have believed that, but I've been accused of being pretty narrow. I don't mind that as long as it really is true. And I am concerned about, as I look back in the past years of my life, the people that have walked away. It does bother me. And the people who let go of their faith and give in to circumstances, it does bother me. It does. It really does. I think the remedy for it is to preach this message and to keep hammering it away because somebody's going to get it. And yet, what is sensational today is primetime religion. Boy, the glamour of it all, the bigness of it all, the excitement of it all, with all the electronic sophistication of the meetings and the outstanding presentation and the, boy, that is flourishing in this hour. Nobody's given up on that. That is what it's all about right now. If you were to thumb through the religious channels on the religious section on your TV, if you have something like that, you'd find that it is full of primetime religion. The exaltation of what man is able to do that concerns God and Jesus and stuff and the people that really want this. And you come down to looking at the truth in my little microscope I think you know what God wants is not what people are getting. It's a relationship out of which is birth, a trust, a reliance from those who have been saved unto he who saves, a walk with God. God doesn't have to scoop that up and make it a big All he has to do is reveal himself to you, and you begin to know him and walk with him. It begins to take on great meaning. That, I think, is the atmosphere in which faith is birthed in a man's heart. Not in all that noise and stuff, but sometimes it's just those quiet moments when you're in church or by yourself, and you're listening, and God is talking to you. But the Bible warns us. Let me just give you three verses of Scripture before I get to 2 Corinthians. I want you to turn to these because I want you to see the kind of warning that God gives to us, whatever age we're in, that we need to be heeding. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day, that is the day of the Lord, That day shall not come except there come what first? Now, listen to me. I do not believe that primetime religion and its statistics 
You know, we're talking about millions are saved every day in this country, a million are saved a day over here, and 10,000 here, and the gospel is storming the earth, and the earth is beginning to rise up, and God's people are taking over. I don't believe that. I really don't. I believe that before Jesus comes back, there will be a turning away from what he wants. Now, that's what I believe that there will be a departure from the way he wants us to live because they will be given something else that is told is good enough or is better. And so he said here, except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. That would be what we call the antichrist. So when he begins to come on the scene, he comes at a time, we're about there now. But it comes at a time when there is a falling away. Not people that are quitting religion. Not people who quit going to church. That's not what he's saying. But people who no longer want to be what Jesus outlined that he wants us to be. Now, in this same chapter here, verse 9, even him who's coming is talking about the devil and how he's going to work and his power over unbelievers. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. So the last days are also going to be marked. This time of falling away will also be marked with signs and wonders. Are y'all here? So when the demonic comes in, it comes in with spectacular things, signs and wonders. Probably the same time that Jesus said that if it wasn't for his return, even the elect would be deceived. It'll be so close. Because people are so hungry for something besides going to church. I think God has restrained the pouring out of his gifts and stuff for so long that people that are looking for something new and exciting, when something new and exciting comes along, they seem to get inspired again. Well, they're not inspired spiritually. They're inspired soulishly. That is in the feeling realm and the mind. They, and that's about to happen if it's not already started. And there's going to be things happening in the world scene, and especially in religious settings, that are going to be unusual because it will be a true sign or a wonder. Something out of the ordinary. And it'll be the work of the devil. And those people who don't know that need to read this because this is what he said. He said that verse 9, the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. Now, this is during the time of the falling away. In other words, there won't be any keen discernment amongst Christians like there should be to see who's behind this because behind the signs and wonders is a message. Somebody who's doing this has to say something. If you're not interested in what they're saying, but just what they're doing, then you'll be part of this. Look at verse 10. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, those who receive all that, they will be deceived because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Why? Was truth too demanding? Did truth penetrate so deeply that people felt wounded every time they go to church? Every time I go to church, I just feel like, man, I've been shot down again. Is that what they're feeling? Did they want them to prophesy smooth things? Did they want them to water down the truth? Did they want to just back off? 
Isn't that what he said in Isaiah 30? Quit preaching the Holy One of Israel. They told Moses one time, we're all holy. Who made you the boss? We're all holy people. Man likes to think like that. He doesn't need to be taught. I go to church. I've been water baptized, and I'm a member in this, and you don't need to preach at me. I'm holy. You can get a mindset like that, that you get tired of that old status quo, and you're looking for something else. And the Bible said, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness, arguing with God, debating with God, indifferent to God's way. I've heard that before. And you begin to open yourself up to something here that'll destroy you. Because if the truth that God has given us is not really what we want, then we will get something else that we do want. It's either his way or a bad way. But you'll make that choice because you'll get the opportunity. Verse 11, and for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Is that possible? I'm taking way too much time with this. I was only going to brief this and go on, but let's just say I feel inspired right now to do this. Did you read what he said? For this cause. I'll translate it. Because men do not want the truth, God will send them a distortion of the truth, and because they receive that, they will be damned in the next verse. Is that right? Look at verse 12. That they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Those are penetrating scriptures. But those scriptures are for the hour that we're in. They would be for any hour, but especially in this hour when the falling away, I think, has probably begun. But the falling away is not what people think. It's not like we're going to quit the church and go back to a beer joint. The falling away is we no longer want the truth as God presents it. We want somebody to give us another definition of what that is so that it's not exactly that way, but it's this way, which is good enough. That we don't have to do that. That the Sermon on the Mount is not for today. That's for the millennium. Nobody could live that. Tell me that so I don't have to read that and think about it. Then I can read through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and really not be bothered by any of it because it's not for today. Or I'm not capable of living like that because I'm a human being and you know, the nature of sin prevails in my life and I can't do what's right. People like that stuff because they're dismissed from having to live the way God said. It takes the sting out of the word. I think Jesus accused the Pharisees once of saying, he said, you know, you have made the word of God of no effect, which means the word of God is designed to effect. It is like that sword that divides. It's designed to make a difference. And yet it doesn't really do anything until you believe it. It's when you don't believe it and reject it that God sets into motion what you don't want. Remember that verse again in verse 11, and God shall send them strong delusion. Why? How will the delusion come? It might be in the form of a book or an article. 
but essentially it'll be in the form of angels of light, ministers, religious people. That's the way it came throughout the Old Testament books of Isaiah and Jeremiah and days of the prophets, and that's the way it'll come in the last days. People will go to sleep, will begin to lose interest. They will become dull of hearing. These are the last days he's talking about. They become dull of hearing. They will be more involved in the world scene or politics or social goodness than they are in becoming a disciple of Jesus. Go over two or three books to the book of Titus. Titus chapter 1, verse 13. This witness is true, wherefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables. Now, we're not in a Jewish community this morning, so it wouldn't have to be Jewish. It could be Gentile fables here. Fables are man-made stories, made-up things. A fable is an untruth that may sound truth. It usually has a message or something in it. But man will distort the scriptures and people will believe the myth rather than the truth. And he goes on to say in verse 15, under the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and their conscience is defiled. It comes to that. You no longer even care. I don't care. It's not a big deal. You can preach to people like this. I have seen this. You can preach dagger truth, straight, true truth to some people, and it never gets in because they reject it. That's, that's, your, that's just your idea. Yeah, well, whatever. Verse 16. This is what exemplifies their life. These are warnings. They profess that they know God, but in works, what do they do? They say they believe in God, but how they live, the choices they make, even the company they keep, is evidence of the condition of their heart. In works, they deny him being abominable and disobedient, and in every good work, reprobate. Now go back one book to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove and rebuke and exhort with all long suffering and that bad word doctrine. Why this? I like to ask question because if you listen to a question, you must think of what the answer is and thinking on spiritual things, meditating is a good thing. I argue with myself. Now, I guess I'm strange. But in order for me in my lifetime, the last 40 years or so of being saved, to come to what I really know I believe and being unwilling to change and totally unwilling to compromise it, I usually debate myself. I argue with myself. Well, that couldn't be true because, well, now it is true. Now, see, I've got this conversation going with myself. Now, I know that must sound strange if you're a visitor here, but I talk to myself. I challenge me. I ask me the questions that I would think a scholarly person would ask me if they were sitting there. I try to act like I'm scholarly, but anyway, I talk to myself. Now, when I can outdo myself, I believe it. 
when I can get to a place where I say, well, no, the Bible says. Yeah, but how do you know? No, there's another verse that says the same thing. So I think, you know what? You're right. I believe that. I accept that as true. Because now, if you want to challenge me, I've already challenged myself. I know where you're going to come from, and I've already done this. So now I know in whom I have believed, and now I am persuaded that he is able. That I have received with meekness this word, which I know not only can save me, but will benefit me. And though none go with me, I'll follow anyway. Why? Because I know in whom I have believed. I heard what you said, and it sounded so good. It's got to be right, but it's not right because you said it. I've got to know if what you said is true. I've got to see it myself. We get to that place, nobody's going to hoodwink us. Nobody's going to take us aside. And even though they do wonderful things and sound good for a season, I don't mean to be suspicious, but we listen to what they say. I want to know what you believe. I want to know what your doctrine is. Paul told Timothy, he said, you labor in doctrine. Notice here, he said again, you preach the word. You be instant in season and out of season. You rebuke. Boy, people love that. Exhort with all long suffering. Do it more and more and more because they didn't get it. Keep on giving it. And doctrine for the time will come. Now we are there this morning. In this age and time that we live right now, I think this applies right now for us. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They don't want to hear what Jesus said the way he said it, but we want somebody to tell us that's not what Jesus meant. Tell us that Jesus didn't mean it that way. Tell us that if I don't live exactly that way, I'm all right anyway because God will overlook me. Tell me that so I don't have to be so convicted and live with such a conscience. Take the sting out of all of this. Take the conviction. Take that keenness out that makes me want to strive to enter into the narrow gate. Take that out so I don't have to strive to enter into anything that I'm already in. Praise the Lord. Give me a reason I don't have to fight for to keep what I've got every day. I have to fight to get it. Tell me I don't have to fight to keep it. Tell me that now that I'm a Christian, the devil can't touch me. My name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. There's no way it can be erased out of there, and I'm going to heaven. I don't care how I live. Tell me that. Let me just walk away from all the stuff that God is saying and live like it doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter. All that stuff about sin is for y'all, for them out there. I raised my hand 30 years ago. I'm in. I'm done. My name, my pew's up there. Got a room waiting for me. Ho-hum. I don't sing. I don't worship. I don't praise. I don't give. I don't go. I don't even care, but I'm going to heaven. Tell me that. Or tell me what my daddy must have believed. He was a Catholic. He did all of his ritual. He kneeled and genuflected and beat on his chest and said his rosary and did all that ritual they call Catholicism. It's a ritual. And he went through that, and he was convinced because they told him he was all right. That's all he knew. 
He never picked up this book. He told me one time he didn't read the Bible because if he got it wrong, it'd be a bad sin. He said, I trust in those priests who have spent their lives studying to tell me the truth as though they couldn't tell him anything else. They spoke in Latin. Dominoes and biscuits. I mean, how do you know what they're even talking about? But this is the spirit. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I go to such and such a church. I know I got saved once. I know I got filled with the Holy Spirit once. There are no restraints and restrictions on my life except the decency and socially acceptable ones. You know, I don't cuss in public. I don't blow my horn as traffic lights if somebody important might be around me. Tell me that. Tell me it's more important for me to be a nice social person with a good presentation than it is to be a fool for Christ. Tell me that. Take away all the sting out of this. Like the one preacher does, we don't talk about sin because sin and all of its ways disturbs people. No joke. Sin should disturb us because God hates it. And how many people do it without thinking about it? But somebody taught them in their life, somebody who preached to them or explained Scripture to them, told them that they can think like that and that you're all right anyway. I don't care how many mistakes you make, how bad a life you live. If at one time you went through catechism, got baptized, or held your hand, you're going to heaven. Woo! Preach that to me. Hear the consequences. People do this. God shall send what? What kind of delusion? Strong delusion, compelling, influential, strong delusion. And in 2 Timothy 2, he said the time will come when they won't endure sound doctrine. They don't have to. It's not necessary. But after their own lust, their own way, their own style, their own brand, this is the kind of church I like. That's the kind of preaching I like. That's the kind of place I like to go. They have a choice, and it doesn't matter what choice you go. As long as you're in the room while somebody is talking about God, you're going to heaven. In verse 4, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and be turned aside unto fables. Why? Because God will send upon these strong delusion. What is the end of fables? What is the end goal of a fable? Damnation. That's a strong word because it's a final word. It's a word of finality. To be damned, to experience damnation, is to be eternally lost. That all the stuff you did was the wrong stuff. All the sacrifice you thought you made religiously got you nothing. You see, I know what I'm saying so far this morning is not popular in this hour. But I also know this, that we as human beings are so vulnerable to the kind of weakness that overwhelms people that if we're not careful, if we don't preach the word in season, out of season, we'll gravitate backwards instead of forwards. The easiest way for you to go is backwards. It's hard to go forward. 
and you go forward because hopefully there's an inspiration, some work of God in your heart that makes you want to stay with this thing. That even when you feel bad and things aren't working well for you and life is throwing you curveballs, there's still this thing from God that makes you want to keep going. And people can talk you out of your faith, then people can grant you an unbelief. Now go to 2 Corinthians 4 where I told you we would start and we'll get our message started this morning. In light of what I just said, 2 Corinthians 4 tells us this, beginning in verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, that's to those people who say, well, I just don't see that. I just can't see that. Okay. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them who are lost. How many of you know that's not popular to say that? There's a lot of people say, I didn't come to hear that. And Paul would say, you know, from the natural side, I didn't come to say that. But woe is me if I don't say that because what I just said was what God gave me to say. That's what he said. If our gospel be hid, it is hid unto them that are lost. Here's how that works. In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. This is our faithless departure message. Has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ or in the person of Jesus. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. There are four things I want to say this morning about that. And I want to begin with this. First of all, The reason people are lost is because they have availed themselves to what the devil is doing and what the devil is saying. And once you give yourself over to the devil's ways and his tactics, wiles, schemes, and devices, once you get into that kind of territory, he begins to mess with the mind. Blinded, for example, is a word that can mean blunted. Blinded can mean blunted the mental discernment. You're not able to see things God's way anymore. And yet what the devil says is not exactly clear either, but it's not condemning, and so you feel good about it. It doesn't challenge you. Not much to it. Listen to what the Montgomery translation said about verse 4. He said, Among whom the God of this age has blinded the understanding of the unbelieving so that the sunshine of the gospel of God should not dawn upon them. They can't see it. They go to church. They participate in the activities of the church probably, but they can't see it. Let me ask you a question. If light, the word light is used there, if the word light describes how God shows us things, if light means, in a sense, the revelation or the revealing of God, where there was darkness, God opens up the darkness and light shines in and you see what he is saying and you get an understanding. Oh, I see it. Now, could that cause people to turn away? You think about it. 
The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men everywhere. All men everywhere have not received it. But they've heard about it. They've been inspired. You sit there and you listen to that and you heard something. And it's not so much what the preacher said as to what your heart said. Can you all understand that? See, the preacher said, you must walk with the Lord. But your heart says, you know, you not only don't walk with the Lord, you don't even want to walk with the Lord. You're afraid of what it's going to cost you to walk with the Lord. You're afraid you're going to lose and blah, 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 blah. See, I didn't say that. All I said was, you got to walk with the Lord. But your heart said, because this is that at least once in your life, that one time moment when the Holy Ghost locates you and makes you know exactly what you look like in the sight of God. There's no darkness now. It's clear. You are what you are. You chose to be the way you are, and I'm showing you now, that's the way you are. And the reason you don't want to be any different than the way you are is because you have this fear that if I turn to God and walk his way, I won't be cute anymore. I won't be popular. I won't be whatever I am. I might lose my family, my job. I, I might get, you know, oh, this could devastate my life. I didn't say that. All I said was, you got to walk with the Lord. God put all that other stuff in there. But I'm accused of saying that. Oh, he just condemned it. All I said was, you got to walk with the Lord. God put the annotation at the bottom of it. And then somebody put my name on the annotation and said, he's terrible. He just made me feel so bad. I don't think it was me. But if it was me, if it was, is it true? Is it true what the Lord said about you? Is it true what your heart is telling you right now? Is it true? Would God ever do that to us? Would he ever locate us so that we are without excuse? Of course he would. Well, go back. Does light blind people? It blinds people like this. People see what God wants. And they begin to look for somebody who can tell them it doesn't have to be like that. Somebody talked me out of it. So the more you begin to look for a way out of this thing, the more you begin to lose that edge, that conviction, that urgency. Next thing you know, you lose your interest. Your conscience becomes defiled becomes seared, no longer prompts you to a tear, no longer do you find yourself really being concerned about your life and the methods in your life and the way you live. You're not, no longer bothered by it because you don't deal with it. Your Bible says all this. He says that when the God of this world begins to blind minds, he does it because people don't want the light. Remember back in 2 Thessalonians 2, they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved, so God gives you something that will damn you, and that's your way. Now, four things I want to say this morning about why the faithless are departing from the faith. Number one is because for the faithful, there is no other source for faith but God. There's no other place you can get it but God. It comes from no other source 
but God, and there are no substitutes for it. Faith in anything else is unacceptable. Faith in the famous scholar, the great book-writing theologian, speaker, inventor, whatever, the greatest of all, the miracle worker, have faith in that man? Nope, that's not the source of your faith. The source of your faith is the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Now, if these people out here are from God, they will tell you the truth, but you have to make sure they're telling you the truth. If they speak not, Isaiah said, if they speak not according to this word, it's because they have no light. Because when God's word comes, it comes like light because it always is showing something. Whether it's your problems and your weaknesses and your faults or your terrible attitude and indifference, it'll show you that. But it comes with light. It comes to show you things that God wants you to see. Our faith is limited to one place and only one. It's not faith in what my mother said. It's not faith in what the doctor said. It's not faith in what uncles and aunts or preachers or doctors of the law say. The ground is level here for all of us. The basis for our faith is in our lap this morning. It's the word of God. And yet only God can make us understand what's in that book. Because a natural man with his intelligence, his intellect, and his ability to work crossword puzzles quickly cannot bring him faith in this word. He can only memorize it and pride himself in how much of it he knows. But he doesn't believe it. He professes to know God. But the way he lives denies God. I don't care how intelligent anybody in this room is. Your intelligence won't bring you faith. Well, faith comes by hearing. If all you do is hear, all you've got is knowledge. It is God who translates knowledge into faith, and he does that by his spirit. It's a gift. If it wasn't a gift, then you can earn it. If you can earn faith, then you can be saved without God. God has to save you because you're smart. It'll never be like that. The most dense soul in this room is capable of being as saved as anybody in this room simply because he is able to believe a revelation that God put in his simple heart. In some nations where people can't even read, you have to read the Bible to them. They are so hungry in some of these distant places in the world that when you have somebody interpret what you're saying and you preach the word to them, it overwhelms them. They're on their faces. They're so hungry for it, they will walk miles through a dangerous jungle to get to a meeting. And if they have to, they'll spend the night there, hope they get something to eat so they can be there the next day and be taught some more. Something in the heart just says, I have got to have this. I've got to have this. This is not America I'm talking about now. This is another part of the world. It's an option today. In fact, it's such an option today that most people don't even need it, but once a week, Wednesday nights, I got other I got stuff to do. Kids got a ball game or something. Go ahead. Go ahead. Do that. Tell God you don't need all this. Tell him. Be my guest. Tell him you figured it all out yourself. Tell him you don't need all this. 
Tell him you just don't feel, you know, what. Tell him. Get on your knees and say, I thank you, Lord, that I'm a Sunday morning for sure. I don't need the rest of that stuff. Tell him that. And he'll begin to show you things about your heart. It's not good. Because he can. People have accused me in times past because I believe that there's only a source for life is the Bible, for faith is in the Bible. I talk about faith more than anything else because it's the one single thing that Jesus said when he comes back, he's looking for it. And I see so many people today trying to find another way to relate to God besides faith. And the devil's work is to turn us away from the faith. And the work of God in John 6, 29, the work of God is that you might believe. To have a life down here that turns away from the world and its sources for your hope, and you turn to God and say, I will do it your way, I will live your way, it's you. And the devil didn't want you to do that. This business of finding another way and looking for another source, like somebody said years ago, said, you know, you people worship the Bible. I've had that said more than once. Now, I'm not going to analyze the heart that said that, what they really meant. What did they mean? That we worship the Bible. I don't worship the Bible. Everything I know to do came from the words in this book. What do I have without this book? What kind of faith would I have without this book? I couldn't have anything. How would I know if I'm living right without this book? How do I know if what I'm doing is right if I don't have this book as a judge of my life? How can I know? I'm in deep dark. Plumber's eel couldn't get me out of this dark without this book. And yet what happens to people who just close it, don't even read it, can't find it, don't care? What happens when you live your life without it? What do you have? Well, the devil, he lets you know. Remember one time you were a little kid, you read the red letters? Remember you read this? You're all right. You're okay. And if they say, well, you know, I must be all right. I'm healthy. I'm not dying. I'm not dead. My bills are paid, and, and I'm doing well, and I know, my kids are doing well. My marriage is good. So they begin to assume that all these other things that are taking place is evidence that you don't need to read it. Do I worship the Bible? No but I'm not going to not worship it to try to convince you I'm like you either. I'm not going to say, oh, I don't worship the Bible. I ain't even going to read it next week. I don't worship. No, see, I didn't read it last week. I don't worship it. I'm not going to accommodate your unbelief by acting like you. While I don't worship this book, I worship because of it. This is the reason. Only one thing that God watches over. One thing. His word. He watches over his word to perform it. Didn't he? Jesus said only one thing is necessary. At the end of Luke chapter 10, Martha and Mary, only one thing is necessary. You know what it is? Listening to this word. And how many people treat that as an option? I don't understand, but I do understand the scripture says in the latter days, seducing spirits will talk people out of their need and they'll think their needs are met when they're really not. A second thing, 2 Corinthians 4, go back to verse 3. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. The faith message 
And the message of the Bible, same thing, is non-compromising. Have you ever been accused of being a non-compromising person? How many of you have ever heard that Tom Hamilton won't compromise? Only one of you. Well, would it bother you if people in the community, I'm talking about good people, they don't know, they just know what they've heard. They've never been here, they just know what they hear. They're not bad people, it's just the way we live. If people in the community told you that, well, your preacher won't compromise, he won't give you any wiggle room. I think at the time I've given people so much room to wiggle, I think they've wiggled their way out of here. Or wiggled their way into a mess. What are we supposed to do with that? Are we supposed to say, well, we're going to preach this, but you don't have to do everything. Is that what we say? I don't think a lot of you came here to this place from wherever you moved here from to hear that. I really don't. And I'm not trying to accommodate you either. I didn't ask any of you to come here. I didn't even ask myself to come here. <laughs> but there's just a lot of folks that say, well, the Bible says, and that's what we must do. If the scripture says that this is the way, walk ye in it, isn't that what we're supposed to do? But what do church members say? They say this. Now, here's the excuse for not doing it. Well, look, okay, okay, okay. I know the Bible says all of that. But don't you think. Now, when you get into the phrase, don't you think, you're getting away from what the Bible says into what you think the Bible says. In this way, the devil blinds the mind or blunts the discernment. Till you have let off from saying, I cannot but, Luther himself said, Martin Luther. He said, my conscience is bound to the word of God. I cannot change, so help me God. Something like that. It's a longer speech. I used to know the whole speech, but that's, I remember that part. My conscience is bound to the word of God. I love you. I know you're hurting. I know what I'm about to say. You might be offended by it or take it personal because you failed last week. But I'm not saying it to drive you further into despair or into grief. I'm saying it so that you will know that there's a better way than what happened to you. There's time. You can regroup. You can get back on your feet, and you can make it work the next time. Right. We all fail. All right, I have failed. Made too many mistakes in our life. God has never discarded me because I messed up. Remember we said on Wednesday night, Lord, help my unbelief. Jesus didn't throw him away. What did he say about Peter? And Peter cursed him. He upbraided them because of their unbelief. He didn't throw them away. He didn't say the likes of you, get out of here. If you're going to fail, get out of here. He didn't go to the hospital when somebody was there grieving or crying because that's just what it came to. He didn't say, well, you're done. He didn't say, yeah, that's a good job. He didn't say that either. But he never quit. When he chose you and called you out of the miry clay and out of the muck and stuff in this world and made you his own and put his spirit inside of you, he didn't do that so he could let go of you. You're a precious treasure to God. You mean something to him. You may not be living like that right now, but you will because God has a plan and a program. He that has started a good work, 
And it's a work, a program. He that has started a good work, which included you, he is going to make sure that you finish it on his terms at the end, and he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Even though you think, I'm not doing very good at all. Well, get up, regroup, and let's go. Regroup, and let's go. Listen to Isaiah 30. Would you turn to Isaiah chapter 30? Put your finger in 2 Corinthians here. Let's go to Isaiah 30 because this is a non-compromising word. We can't give off this word and say, well, don't have to always do it that way. If God didn't want us to do things the way he's shown us to do it, he wouldn't have said it the way he said it. There are believers who are obstinate and stubborn. They refuse to believe. They're unwilling to be persuaded. Nah. Then there are those who do not believe. They're unwilling to believe also, but it's because they're not clear. They're not sure about the word. There's forgiveness for one, and the other one, like the Pharisees, there wasn't. But we all make a mistake every now and then. We shouldn't. We don't applaud that. That's not trying to make us okay. But even though we do find ourselves stumbling along the way, even a righteous man shall fall. The Bible says he shall fall seven times, but the Lord shall lift him up. What I'm preaching to you today and what you've been hearing is designed to keep you on your feet, keep you on track with the Lord, and have a deep, deep conviction that only God and his way is right. Nothing else is right. Isaiah 30, are you there? Verse 10, this is very popular. You've heard this. Would say to the seers, see not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, but compromise, compromise. Prophesy us to us smooth things. Make us feel good. Prophesy deceits. What are deceits? Deceits are misleading falsehoods. But people are willing to accept that because they want that. Verse 11, they say, get you out of the way and turn aside the path of the Holy One. One translation says, do not keep the Holy One of Israel before our minds. Do not keep Jesus Christ in his way every single time. Don't keep him in front of us all the time. To Man. But he says, get you out of the way, the Holy path. Verse 12, wherefore thus saith the Lord. This is God's response. This is God's response. You've already heard it in 2 Thessalonians 2 and 2 Timothy 2 and Titus 1. Here it is again. Wherefore thus saith the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word. Now there isn't a soul in this room that would say, I despise the word of God. None of you would. But here's what God says. Remember, I'll quote this again. They profess with their mouth that they know me but by their works, they deny me. If you deny the Lord, is that a form of despicable behavior? Say yes. Would that mean that in the eyes of God, when you turn your back on his word, that you despise his word? In Malachi 1, did he not say you hate me? You say the feast of the Lord or these sacrifices of the Lord are detestable. God said they said that. And they said, when did we ever say that? He said, by the way you live, by the choices you're making. Again, in verse 12, he said, therefore, thus saith the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perverseness and stay thereon, therefore, this iniquity shall so forth, so forth. In other words, you're going to fail. You're going to fall for sure. 
Because the only thing that can save you is the word. And the only way the word works is by faith. And there's no other source for faith than the word of God. So we can't compromise that. We can't change that. We can't alter that. We can't make you feel better if you don't do it. It just doesn't work like that. Listen to what Paul said. He said, if our gospel be hid, if you hide the word, if you alter the word, this is the last day, primetime religion. If you alter the word, if you twist the word, if you distort the word, if you change the meaning of the word, if you make it not what God said it was, but what people would like to hear, or you're trying to be real clever and get a, wow, isn't he good, and do it that way with the word. Here's what 2 Peter 3.16 says. They which are unlearned and unstable rest as they do the other scriptures and to their own destruction. When you change the scriptures, when you rest these scriptures, when you alter the meaning of them, you do that to your own destruction. God prizes his word very highly. When you change it and mingle it with man's word and man's wisdom and man's myths, it's no longer the word of God. It becomes a source of turning away from the Lord, quoting the Bible yet falling away, seducing spirits, seducing spirits. Whatever the Bible says, we must do it. If it says to overcome, we must overcome. If it says to believe, we must believe. If it says that God's our healer, then he's our healer. If it said God will protect us, God will protect us. We have the easy part, folks. We just trust him. We don't even ask the question, how are you going to do that? How can you preach prosperity in Africa? Because a natural man says, well, you can't because he makes everything natural. He looks at the world and tries to base what God can do on the basis of what exists down here, not knowing that God can make a whole lot out of nothing. He doesn't need natural circumstances to do spiritual things. But man is so natural, he limits God. Limits God. That's Psalm 78, 41. He limits God. Thirdly, go back to 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. It brings persecution. The way of faith will get you persecuted. You're not going to be popular. You're not going to be liked. They're going to talk about you. You'll find yourself being alone a lot more than you used to. But you know what? I guarantee you this too. You come to the place where you treasure being alone. I don't mean a recluse or a hermit. I think the reason Bonnie and I get along so well is because we don't talk. <laughs> We do, but I mean, when we're together at home, she's reading and I'm reading or doing something, you know. We don't sit say, hi, honey, how was your day? Oh, it was, well, good, that's good. What else did you do today? I may ask those questions at the dinner table, but I don't mind being alone, driving around by myself, sitting in quiet places by myself. I find more and more at my age, it's an opportunity to think about what's going on in my life, your lives, our lives. What should be done next? I think about sermons all the time. I try to go on a vacation. At the end of the vacation, I'm thinking about what to preach all the time. That's not bad. That's not bad. We hope you get some good ones, but you know. Anyway, it brings persecution, verse 6. For God who commanded light to shine out of darkness has shined into our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. We have this treasure in earth and vessels so that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. 
Then, right into this, we're troubled on every side. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. What does that mean? Well, to walk with Jesus means he must increase and you must decrease. Didn't Paul say, I die daily? For the less of me there is in this life, the less there is to hinder him. He lives in my heart. He dwells in our hearts. And the more I get myself out of the way and yield my will to God, the more he does in me what he wants. It's exactly what he is doing. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The more I'm out of the way, the less hindrance there is to the way of God. I get persecuted for it. I mean, he said so in verse 8. He said, we're troubled. It means we're pressed and afflicted or oppressed. But he said, we're not distressed. We're not crowded into such a narrow little place that we can't get out. I mean, it's hard, but he said, we're perplexed, which means we sometimes don't know how to proceed. Oh, man. But he said, we're not in despair. That is, we're not at a loss. We're not overwhelmed to where we give up. He said in verse 9, we're persecuted. We know what persecuted is. means we're attacked and so forth. But we're not abandoned. Our trials haven't caused God to give up on us. He says, we're cast down. That means to throw. But we're not destroyed. The word destroyed means to render useless. All of this is going on. It's a test. It's a trial. There's a voice that speaks to you and when your life is being shaken like this, like Peter said, the devil's going to, what was he said? The devil wants to uh, sift you as wheat. Now, I've seen pictures of how you do that. You shake it in this, you sieve, you throw it up, and you, you know, it's a picture of being agitated. Tossed to and fro, tossed about, unsettled, just being thrown here and thrown there. It's the way God describes the difficulties that we're going to go through in this life as a test of what you believe. Because most people give up. A lot of them haven't been taught and don't know they're supposed to hang on. But even amongst folks like us, a lot of them just quit. I don't know about that. Losing my friends being tossed to and fro. I remember one man one time told me, he said, I wish I'd never heard all this. He's still alive. I saw him the other day. He's hammer dead. While he walks, baptized in the Holy Ghost. You know what Frank's problem was? Persecution. He's a very popular athletic boy. He was a couple years behind me in school. The all-American boy. Everybody liked him, and he was Mr. Personality, and he was. And he got saved one night. He went to all of his friends. I mean, knocked on their door, and he was good at this. I don't know. He didn't learn it. He just, he could talk to them about Jesus and lead people to the Lord. Got filled with the Holy Ghost. Then his back started hurting. An old back injury came back, and it wouldn't go away. And it wouldn't go away. And it wouldn't go away. Then he started complaining about that. Within a year's time, I remember one night at a little prayer meeting, I got up and walked out. It's where I, the folks I got saved with. They got to making fun of some things about, you know, well, if you had faith. <laughs> and Frank said, you know, I wish I'd never heard about all this stuff. I got up. All my friends I got saved with, I said, I'm out of here. I'm done. 
And I said, Frank, I wouldn't trade places with you for anything. And I walked out. And he went outside and he said, wait a minute, I didn't mean it that way. I said, I heard what you said. You said what you said. I walked off. See how narrow you are? Sometimes it's like contending for the faith. You earnestly contend for the faith. You don't let the people that you supposedly love talk like that and let them go that far away from God without saying something about it. We're supposed to care about each other. Sometimes we do get our dander up. I think the Lord got his up once. We get persecuted for talking like that. Yeah, well, you holy rollers. I don't skate. I could. I used to do that a lot too. I guess if a Christian puts on skates, he's a holy roller. But anyhow, I don't think I'm better than anybody. I think I'm where Paul, I'm the least of the apostles, the chief of sinners, less than the least. I don't see me any more than a little screw at the bottom of a great big machine that has one little function. It's just hold this thing together right here. That's all I do. I aspire to no more than that. I'm on no journey in this life to greatness or nothing. I am nothing just like you are. But greatness is when the Almighty God singles you out of all creation and brings you to him and said, you've overcome, you wrestled and you won. You struggled and you didn't quit. You didn't whine and cry and you held fast and you took your licks and you took your persecution and you were troubled and all these things he spoke of in verse eight and nine. You went through all of that and you didn't give up and quit. And you're mine. I remember back in the old days, when up at Faith Assembly, they were in the news up there for this or that, and people had all these comments to make about them. One day they heard that we were like that. Well, a semblance. Y'all one of them? Of course, inside you're saying, I hope so. Well, they're Freemanites. They're just a bunch of freemen. Yeah, they, yeah, they're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then here came things happen, and boy, the hammer fell. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, because what I just described is going to happen. And verse 32. But call to remembrance the former days in which after you were, what's that word? Does that mean had your eyes opened? You saw what you were following? Notice, remember the former days in which after you got the light, you endured a great fight of afflictions. Let me ask you another question. Does light bring trouble? It also brings salvation. How can you separate them then? I pay a price in life to live what I believe. It's not a free walk without trouble being tossed this way. That doesn't mean that when I say yes to Jesus that the devil leaves me alone. He leaves nobody alone. And if you knew who was behind the attack you're going through this morning, if you could see the devil laughing and giggling about your weakness, you'd probably roll your sleeves up and say, oh, I hope you would. Then you'd fight the good fight of faith. 
But he said, after you were illuminated, you fought a great fight of afflictions, partly, verse 33, partly while you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly while you became a companion of them that were so used. Other churches, other believers that are going through this stuff, and they throw you all in the same pot because the religious world, the church today knows a normal church doesn't live like this. Therefore, if you're willing to live like this, and that's out of the ordinary or the so-called orthodoxy of today, if you're willing to live, then you must be a cult. They don't know how to define the word cult, but it has to do with something that deviates from the truth. And if you're trying to live the truth and you can point that out, then maybe the cult is on the other foot. But I don't argue that case. I know in whom I have believed. Go back to 2 Corinthians 4 so I can close. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Fourthly, in verse 16, you have to fight to keep what you've got. For which cause we faint not. Why would you faint in the first place? Because... You're being attacked. You feel like you can't hang on. I'm about done. Poor old me. It's just for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day for our light affliction. One translation says our light momentary affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Let me ask you a question. All these troubles and things I've been describing for the last half hour, trials, difficulties, challenges, things you walk through, the valleys and the hills and the struggles, the wrestling. Is there a purpose for all that? In the verse we just read, does it define a purpose for all our struggles? Look at verse 17 again. For our light, that's what God calls it. Oh, this is the big one. God says, it's the light one. Oh, Lord, this is you. It's the light one. For your light momentary affliction, or your affliction, which is for a moment, notice, worketh, worketh. Just think of the word accomplishes. Worketh, I think, means accomplishes. Accomplishes for us. What does? Afflictions. Accomplishes for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, the things seen are temporal, the things that are not seen are eternal. You get your eyes on eternity. Get your eyes on Jesus. A natural man has his eyes solely on his circumstances, solely on his feelings, solely on what is around him. A spiritual man has his eyes on the Lord because he is really the greater one that is in me. And he shall never leave me nor forsake me, nor will he fail me. For he has me in the palm of his hand. I want to keep it that way and I want to fight to keep it. Those times that I feel overwhelmed or tired and I'm just too weary. Those are the times I've got to say, no, I'm going to lay down here and fight. As 1 Timothy 6, 12 says, I'm going to fight the good fight of faith. Remember not long ago, we read in 2 Timothy 4, 7, those wonderful words we all want to end our life with. I have fought a good fight. We're wounded. We're bleeding. One eye's half shut and your hair's been pulled out. You say, I fought 
I fought a good fight. I, I kept it. <laughs> well, that's better than you saying, hello, Lord. I'm still here. And him saying, who are you? I never knew you. You ran from every lion that growled in your life. And you know what the lion was, a roaring lion? It was a recording. Yeah. Ooh, there's a lion in the room. It's a recording. It's a tape. And your natural mind gravitated down to long teeth and big claws and a 600-pound male lion is going to shred you like slaw. And you responded to that. And you get to heaven and God said, let me show you what that was. Because he showed you your life. And it was a recording. The devil said, what? Yes. And the same, I took off running. That saint's a fighter, wasn't he? Woo, he drew his sword. Where was it? Amen. Well, let me ask you all a question. Are you unbelievers or are you believers? I didn't ask you if you're perfect, if you've arrived yet, if you've got it all figured out yet. Are you willing to be a believer? Are you willing? It'll cost you, but are you willing? Bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, help us. Enable us, strengthen us in a way that we can keep our eyes on Jesus and not fold and give up under pressure. No, Lord, it isn't easy. You said it wasn't, but you said we could. We can make it. We can do all things through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our communion table this morning tells us that we have the victory because he is alive. It's all about his life. And he's not dead. And if he's alive and everything he said is true, God help us to believe his word and to proclaim his truth. We want to be believers, Lord. Now, we ask you to help us on this journey to tighten up, lace our shoes a little tighter, make ourselves a little more sure, hold on to this plow that you've got before us, to live this life that you've given us to live, and not look back. And I ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.